Easy. Yeah. Yeah. That is Glasser. Hello, hello. It's podcast 53 from Football Anya, your home of Dutch football. You're listening to us on YouTube, SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure you give us a like and subscribe wherever you're listening. I'm Michael Statham and I'm today joined by Mike Bell and also Jonathan Beck, our special guest today, who's a commentator on all things Dutch football. Today we're going to be talking about the Netherlands squad, looking ahead to the Nations League semi-final against England, who's going to play, who are England's threats. Also, um, a review of the Eredivisie season, the playoffs, standout players of the season and also the best young players. Enjoy. Okay, well, Mike and Jonathan, thanks very much for joining me today. Um, We've got plenty to talk about, as usual. Um, And the first thing is the Netherlands. So this final squad is out. Ronald Koeman's made his selection. And there were a couple of surprises, weren't there, Mike? Yeah, I mean, the main surprise for me is the big one is the fact that Val Weghorst has been left out again. He's had a surprising season in the Bundesliga. I didn't think he'd do as well as he has done. 17 goals. I think only two players have scored more than him in Germany this season, and um, there's a big call for him to be selected. But Kumin, you know, he stuck to his gun so far, and he said that he wants the same squad, the same players that got him to this stage, to basically play the semi-final. And uh, once again, Luke de Jong has been picked instead. Yeah, they're two very similar players, Luke de Jong and Val Weghorst, but I think there's a, a case that you know Weghorst should be in there. You know, maybe have two strikers on the bench for Memphis up front instead of you know, including somebody like Kevin Stripman, who's you know been awful. And the amount of midfield options he's got, you know, it stands out that Stripman's in there and Vekhorst isn't. Well, just on that, uh, we had a question for, on Twitter. Um, thanks for sending those in, by the way, again, for this podcast. And from Fish Rhino, he said, what does Vekhorst need to do to get a call-up? Jonathan, um, one of the things that Ronald Koeman said about Vekhorst was that um, it was an easy decision for him to pick Luke de Jong over Vechorst. But surely Vechorst's goals in the Bundesliga stand out and 17 goals in the Bundesliga is far better than being top goal scorer in the Eredivisie. Or was it a more of a case of um, consistency in the squad selection for Ronald Koeman? Yeah, I think it was the latter really. Mike's hinted at it already. He's a manager who puts a lot of store by team spirit and the spirit of the squad and they've You've done really well in the first stages of the European qualifiers and of course they've done well in the Nations League so wherever possible he wanted to keep that together but I'd agree he's spoiled for choice with midfield options he's had to drop Pablo Rosario because David Prepper is now fit again he said he's got Donny van der Beek who's in the form of his life and he says those they and uh, he and Jorginho van Eldon can play together which is going to be interesting to see how he fits all his options in there it wouldn't surprise me if he had gone for a very course you know, Ryan Barber's not had the best of seasons with Fulham. He's a different kind of striker to De Jong and Vekhorst. Admittedly, uh, he can play wide as well, but he hasn't exactly been in sparkling form. So maybe he could have gone with two out-and-out number nines instead of, of Barber. You can't argue with the inclusion of Bergwijn or Memphis, really. But um, it would have been interesting to see if he could have gone for a, a, a mother physical option, really, against uh, an England side who do have a, a very, very big centre-half pairing and perhaps, you know, would, would relish that physical battle. And another point that I'd like to make on that as well was the last time um, Vekhorst got an appearance. I do believe it was against England for the Netherlands and he came on as a late sub, but it was more just sort of like a pinch hitter. I wonder how much his game's developed in his time in Germany. I mean, from what I've seen of him in Germany this season, a lot of his goals have been 
know, tap-ins from close range headers. So, I mean, he is exactly the same player. You you play along to him, you, you work the ball off him. He's not really changed his game. He's, as I say, he's basically the same as a Luke De Jong. He's just a big man up front. You try and find him in the box. But I think he's, I think he's slightly taller than Luke De Jong. So I think if you're coming up against two massive centre-backs, I think Veghorst might have been a lot more physical than, than Luke De Jong is. Okay, well... That's that option out off the off the um, off the table for Kuman, and another one was Davy Klaassen. Um, just wonder what both of you thought about his um, lack of inclusion in the squad, given again his form in the Bundesliga. Yeah, for me, again, I agree with Kuman on this one. I don't think that David Klaassen's done enough this season to really warrant a place over, say, Donny Van de Beek or Tony Verhena. Yeah, it's an interesting decision. He's he's kind of fallen by the wayside, hasn't he, since. Uh, since struggling at Everton and, and is really not, even despite coming back to the Bundesliga and doing well, he hasn't dislodged a, a real favourite like Kevin Strootman, who you mentioned has not had the strongest of seasons, but again gets in there because of the consistency of selection really more than anything else. I think Kuman knows, doesn't he? He sees day in, day out how the players interact, not just on the field, but off it and how they encourage. And Strootman's a senior member of the squad now. He's a, a leader. So in that respect, maybe he's more valuable for his contribution on and off the field than David Clarkson might be. Oh, one of the questions we had on Twitter was from William, and he seems pretty peeved about Stoltman's in inclusion. He said, how much longer can Koeman keep calling him up when he obviously doesn't have what it takes anymore? When should he cut bait and give the opportunity to someone more deserving? And yeah, I guess Clarkson is the perfect example of someone who could have been in there in Stoltman's place. Yeah, I think it's basically what's been said before is... Maybe it is a case of leadership in the dressing room. Maybe Struman is a big figure in there. He's got experience, whereas if you'd gone for maybe a younger player like Rosario, if the game's tight near the end, you could bring on somebody like Struman and say maybe he could help hold it out. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Struman at the moment. I think he's lost a lot of form. and I think injuries haven't helped his game. The past couple of seasons at Roma that he was there, you know, he wasn't hitting top form. He was out injured a lot of time since he's moved to Marseille. You know, he struggled in the French League. I think Marseille have had a very bad season. And now they're looking to offload him as well. You know, he's a big summer signing for them. And to say that they want to get rid of him after one year isn't, doesn't look very good. Um, but you've got to trust that Kumin knows what he's doing. And maybe he is a big personality in that dressing room. And that's why he's there. And another one as well, um, another one that came in through a question was from Kadera. And he wants to, he wants to know about Van der Beek. And he asks us, do you think Van der Beek will start either of the two games in the finals? And will it be in favour of Martin Dodone or Wijnaldum, for example, if Liverpool lose the Champions League final? Well, it's a conundrum, isn't it? It's the richest area of the field for the Netherlands for Koeman to make the selection. He's a different kind of player to, to Mark Deron in terms of this movement between the lines, I think. It's a case of whether he can play alongside Wijnaldum really as a 10 or as a as someone who can sit a little deeper and then come. I know he wears a six for Ajax, but he's, he's certainly not a number six. He's, he's more of a, a number eight, uh, even a number ten at times. So it's going to be interesting to see how, he, how they fit everyone in that, that picture, really. He's, he's, you know, does he fit Frankie de Jong and Wijnaldum and Van der Beek as well as Martin de Roon in there? How does he use Villena? Every one of those midfielders is adaptable and can play in a, play in a number of different positions. So... I think he'll have to wait and see just how they train and how they, how they slot together, really, and how he looks to combat England's uh, depth of resources in there as well. 
Absolutely. And um, Mike, what do you think about this? So these usually are the midfield three of Dodon, um, Wijnaldum and Frank de Jong. But Donny van der Beek is taking a really good claim at the minute. And if he's going to fit into that midfield, could we see something such as Wijnaldum going out to the right wing, given that the wings arguably is one of the Netherlands' weakest positions at the moment in terms of like quality options? Yeah, I was thinking about this um, recently, moving Wijnaldum onto the wing, because for me, a lot of people, when you say can Van der Beek come into the midfield, they'll go, oh, I just dropped a room. But those people maybe haven't seen what season he's had at Atalanta, he's had an absolutely amazing campaign for them. They finished third in Serie A. He's probably been one of our standout players in that defensive midfield role. And I think he's a crucial player for Netherlands. He does the, the dirty work that maybe goes unnoticed most of the time. And I think that he is an outlet. He can mop stuff up and allow, you know, Frankie de Jong and, more importantly, the number 10 to get further up the, the pitch. Um, the criticism for Wijnaldum when he was playing alongside maybe Kevin Struman was that is coming too deep, but if you've got Darun and Frankie de Jong sitting there, that allows him to have a bit more freedom. You know, on the right wing, you've probably got Quincy Promise or, or Steven Bergwijn. You know, I'd like to see Bergwijn because I think he's such a top talent get more games for Netherlands, so I'd hope that he'd start. Yeah, maybe by now them on the left or the right wing, and then Donny van de Beek, because van de Beek, his movement and you know, work rate in the Champions League was a big reason why Ajax did so well, and I want to see him finally get a chance in Netherlands. He's got you know, five caps so far, but they've all come in friendly matches. So I want to see what he can do in a, a big game. Only really that he's dropped one of the, you know, we're talking about could Wijnaldum move out to the wing. He's dropped one of his most attractive wing prospects, hasn't he, from the pre-selection, which is Steven Berghaus, who hasn't made the cut again. On, you know, whether that is to include an extra midfielder or whether that is purely because he, he thinks, oh, you know, you can't drop the likes of Quincy Promise and, and Depay. But it would have been interesting to give him that extra option, you know, maybe drop one of those midfielders that we've talked about in, in, in previous previous moments. Um, but he wants the balance, doesn't he? So it's a case of getting that balance right with leaders and support and um, back up off the bench. So so maybe that's why Strutman is in and, and Prepper is in rather than an extra winger or forward. OK. And a, a final question about the Netherlands selection uh, comes from Abdul. And he, he asks whether uh, Ryan Babel should start the match against England. And just from my personal point of view, um, before previously, I've always been quite sceptical of Babel um, starting on the left wing. Perhaps he doesn't offer enough, but his form with Fulham has persuaded me otherwise. And the last couple of performances um, with Holland have certainly been a lot more positive. Uh, but what do you both think about that? Jonathan, would you like to go first? Um, You've probably seen Babel perform in England. Has he warranted a first-team place with the Netherlands? From the start, um, when he's up against Bergwijn and Depay, I would say no and promise as well. It's it's difficult to see. I mean, he's an option. Uh, he's done okay for Fulham. It's, it, it is a Fulham team that improved uh, since January when he joined, but ultimately they did go down second from bottom. I saw them on the final game of the season against Newcastle while they were well beaten 4-0 so it hasn't been the easiest of campaigns for him to come in and make a difference you know in January in a team that's already struggling and has already had two managers it's 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 a difficult one so I would say the likes of Bergwijn and Depay and Promise start ahead of him in the pecking order certainly. It worries me a bit that if you put Ryan Babo on the, the left wing you're doing it because there's maybe his defensive work they showed in the earlier rounds of the Nations League he's going to get back he's going to help out defence but 
if you play him on the left wing, is he going enough? Going to have enough pace or dribbling ability to worry somebody like Trent Alexander Arnold on the left wing? It worries me a bit that you know he could get dominated on that side, and then that leaves say if Daily Blind plays left back, that leaves him a bit exposed. So you're looking maybe somebody with a bit more pace to help out at the back and to stop that right wing taking control for for England would be my main concern. I actually disagree with that, Mike, and I think that playing Bubble um, on the left wing might actually be a, po- a positive thing because of his protection that he can offer Daily Blint against Alexander-Arnold, who has had such a, an amazing campaign for Liverpool. Um, and I think o- otherwise you're fighting fire with fire and putting pace against pace, and it could make for an exciting battle. But I think if you're going to be more pragmatic about it in a semi-final, do you then play Bubble instead to offer a bit more protection? I think he will. I think him and Will pick Babel. Um, I just wonder if, you know, Babel gets caught up the pitch. Alexander-Arnold can easily get a run at Daily Blind. That's just my only worry about that. With some more of England's um, attacking threats then, who are likely to pose the biggest threats? We all know about the wealth of Premier League players and also Sancho, Borussia Dortmund, um, that can cause trouble. But who who is going to be the Netherlands' main concern? Will it be Harry Kane, despite the fact he's far from... Fit, match fit. For me, there's one standout for England, and that's obviously Raheem Sterling. I think he's going to be one that everyone's going to have to try and pick up his pace. Could be a big worry for Van Dijk and Belicht. He's going to move all around that front line, and he's going to cause problems to the defence. I think if they can keep Sterling quiet, and you know, everyone's got a great chance of getting the win. I'd agree with that. Yeah, Sterling is is so key. Rashford is a uh... As a very mobile and very difficult to pin down sort of player. And if you like, the way England play in midfield, it allows the likes of uh, Jesse Guard and Deli Alley to come forward. Alley's not had the greatest of seasons, but he certainly came back a little in that second semi-final against Ajax and uh, put in a much, much better display. So that, that will give England hope and cause for optimism. Um, yeah, it depends. on. It's interesting to see which uh, fullbacks they play. Trippier has not had the easiest of seasons, so he's dropped out of the squad with Alexander-Arnold doing so well alongside... Um, Carl Walker as well. So it be interesting to see because England's fullbacks are a big part of how they attack. I would imagine it will be Walker and uh, maybe Chilwell on the other side or Danny Rose probably will start. OK. And um, one Premier League club has been paying particular attention to one of Netherlands' best assets. Manchester United have been linked with Matthijs de Ligt. Once to get both your opinions about... Um, whether this is the club for De Ligt and not whether there's any truth in these rumours because, of course, there may be something rumbling around or it might be pure speculation that the media fabricated. Either way, De Ligt has not yet agreed anything with any club and says that he's going to wait until after the Nations League to discuss his future. But he has been talking to Koeman. He has been talking to Nahak about which is the best option for him. He has also said that there are a lot of clubs that are interested in him and have probably made contact as well with him personally. But Manchester United are the latest club to be linked. Jonathan, first of all, what do you think about this as being a club for De Ligt? Well, they're in a big rebuilding phase, aren't they, at the moment? Um, and they've said, the Sky Sports have reported over here in England, that he's not. They've, uh, they've, they've pulled away slightly, believing that his heart is in Barcelona. It's a difficult decision for De Ligt. Does he go to a club that's that's on the up, that's a club like Liverpool where he could partner Virgil van Dijk? Uh, does he go to one of the big European powers, 
like Paris Saint-Germain, who are dominant in the French league, but is that a stepping stone to somewhere like Barcelona? That was the, the choice that Frankie de Jong had, really. Does he go for a, a real top European club like Barcelona, who are constantly challenging? Uh, does he go for Paris Saint-Germain, who dominate their domestic league, but are not quite making that final step in Europe? Or does he go to a project like Manchester United, it's weird to call Manchester United a project, isn't it, these mm-hmm. days? But that's the situation they find themselves in with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer having a, a big rebuilding job. Um, I would say he would favour uh, one of the other options, whether that be Liverpool, who have got decent options if Joe Gomez can stay fit, or Barcelona, which is the one that's endured all the time. And let's not forget, he's very close with Frankie de Jong, and their two girlfriends are very close, and they spend a lot of time together off the field as well. So they would certainly help each other settle in. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that is his choice. Or even, he said, never say never, hasn't he? If, if he really can't make the choice and he's still just 19 and he fancies one more season with Ajax, Ten Hag previously said there's a 100% chance that he will leave. There's not a single percent chance that he'll stay. But he then said that, well, you never know. Yeah, for me, you know, you look at Manchester United at the moment and it's not really a, what the club that you'd think that somebody like Matthijs de Ligt would go to. You know, they're not in the Champions League. They're not really fighting for the title. There's going to be a lot of upheaval this summer. They're going to need a lot of players in different positions. I'm going to select when, you know, fix that straight away. You know, you've seen all the, the memes and the, the comments on Twitter, how they turn up at training and, you know, next time would be, you know, Ashley Young and Phil Jones and you just you just wonder why you'd, you'd want that. Whereas if he went to Barcelona, he's with his best friend. You know, he's at one of the best clubs in the world, but, you know, sometimes money talks, and if at a case now, the Telegraph reported this morning, you know, it's really a battle between PSG and Barcelona. PSG are offering all the money, they're willing to meet Rayo's demands, his agent, and they're willing to pay Ajax the 85 million. So, again, it's it's it mirrors the Frankie de Jong deal. Does Delict go with his heart and hold out for, for Barcelona, or does he go with, say, the money and pick somebody like PSG? Um, I don't think it's done yet and I think it's going to be another couple of weeks of speculation I hope he picks Barcelona because I think that's where he can develop best and he can develop a partnership again with Frankie de Jong that can help the, the Dutch national team going forward so for me Barcelona would be my number choice for him other than that I don't think my United really really have that big a hope again Yeah interesting points made by both of you there um, and how something as simple sometimes as your friends and your girlfriends um, being together and just making it all quite um, easy to settle in, that can sometimes make all the difference. But also so can money. Money can talk. Um, I just wonder, you know, because this wasn't actually mentioned amongst either of you there, but does style of play come into this? Does the type of league that Delic gets to play in make a difference? Or even in terms of Manchester United, not playing in the Champions League, for example, will Delic be thinking about any of this or will that not matter to him at all? And it's as simple as, if you're that good, it doesn't matter where you play. I think style of play comes into it. The name of the club, Manchester United's a big name, but I agree with Mike. They, I don't think they, are, they have a chance of, of getting delict because if you're Matthijs delict, you would go for one of the clubs that is in the Champions League. It's constantly challenging and is at the top of their game. I think the style of play at Barcelona is, is one that would suit Frankie de Jong. Um, for a centre-half, I guess, I guess it isn't as important, but the style doesn't change. You know, whether Valverde goes or stays, the style remains the same regardless of the manager. You know, the style 
can chop and change in England, depending on who comes in. It can chop and change uh, in France uh, more to an extent than Barcelona, who have the style of play bequeathed to them by the same forefather that uh, bequeathed it to Ajax, Jan Kroos. So it, I think in terms of slotting from one kind of philosophy to another, Barcelona is the best fit for Matthijs certainly. Yeah, I think style of play at Barcelona is, is perfect for select what he, he knows from Ajax is what they do there. I think if you went to England, maybe his physical attributes would come into play a bit more. He'd come up against you know, more teams that are a lot more physical in their style of play. Um, you come up against strikers that are more physical than you'll get in, in Spain. And that would probably help him um, with that area of the game. But I think it, at Barcelona, he's going to have the ball at his feet a lot more. He's going to have to play a round of possession. I think that would be helpful for the, the Dutch national team. So I think he's he said himself that he wants to pick somewhere that you know, has the right style of play that he wants. And I think Barcelona has that definitely. I don't think that you know, Juventus, if they've got a more defensive style of play, or, or Manchester United, who really chop and change the way they play each week, I think that those stars not really decided whether you know, the big games they play defensively against the small teams, they try to play a bit more attacking. I think that Barcelona play the same way against whoever they're playing. I think that will help do it. Okay. Let's um, move on to the next part of our podcast. And we were going to discuss a little bit more about the end of the Eredivisie season. Matt, I select a good example to start with there. Because I was going to get your both of your opinions on who um, stood out for you in terms of young players in this Eredivisie campaign. Is Delict just the obvious choice for one of the best young players we've seen this season in the Eredivisie, or are there plenty more we can discuss? Jonathan, would you like to go first? Well, Delict stands out, but it's not it's not his first season. Obviously, he was a seventeen year old in the Europa League final two years ago. I've looked at uh, players who have come through this season who have made an impact, whether it's off the bench or they've got their first starts, they've got their first goals. Uh, so I have uh, a list of quite a few. The most obvious one in the second half of the season, and he's not a player who'll be there next season, is Alexander Isak, who's obviously only 19, reinvigorated uh, Willem Tve after Fransol's departure to Dynamo Kiev. 13 goals in 16 appearances, got him back in the Swedish national side, helped them to the Dutch Cup final, even though he wasn't able to prevent Ajax from winning that one comfortably. What stands out for me is his brilliant solo goal against Feyenoord in the, the 3-2 win. And really, when you look at the Villantre squad, the future does look good. They've got a number of players between the ages of 20 and 22. The likes of Christopher Christensen, uh, Pavlidis, Marius Vrusai and Dan Crowley. So I think led by Isak, inevitably going to go back to Borussia Dortmund. It is, a, it is a reason for optimism. That's my first choice. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. He's actually just been standout instantly. Willem Tway can move on from losing France. So, obviously not forgotten about him. He was an absolute legend for the club. But Isaac certainly helped soften the blow. And it's just hope that those young players you spoke about there, Jonathan, can really help Willem Tway kick on next season because they really have had um, a very good campaign indeed, reaching the Dutch Cup final. Perhaps the young squad has meant that they're a little bit more inconsistent than most Eredivisie sides. But when they're good, they're very good, Willem Tway. And um, some of those other players you mentioned there will be very good next season. I think one player that I would like to see join a club of the size of Villantoy is um, Lamprey at Fortuna Sittard. Because I think he's had a great season himself um, down the lower reaches of the Eredivisie. 
um, a 21-year-old Greek international, um, well, not a Greek international yet, but may well be in the future, who um, is very exciting in attack and has also helped Fortuna sort of score plenty of goals this season. And as I said, I think he will be looking next season at joining a, a club higher up in the area de Vizy. Hopefully he can get another loan or a permanent move back to the Netherlands. The mid-range, I would go with, well, mid to high. Thomas Bartink has, has broken mm. through. 21 appearances this season, seven goals. He's already got a senior hat-trick on his full debut against Ardo. Uh, so next season could be a really good one for him. He's more often than not been a, a substitute this season. But uh, he's a player that turned down Manchester City and Arsenal when he was much younger, five years ago. Uh, and he's reaping the benefits now of having grown up in the local area and come through the ranks. And yes, he probably could have made a lot of money by going to England, but he's certainly played a lot more. Uh, by staying at Vitesse. So he's uh, an interesting one. Kjell Scherpen has come through and already played a full season. Now he's just 19. Uh, Ajax have seen enough, despite a few mistakes, but he's a teenager, so you have to accept that he's still learning. So he will now progress training with uh, Ajax's goalkeepers. Yeah, I know another good couple of options there. And Thomas Boutink is one that I know Mike's been keeping his eye on as well because he's um, a Dutch youth international, such as Scherpen as well. But Mike, are there anyone else who you've been looking at this season in Eredivisie's future prospects for the Dutch national team? Yeah, I think there's definitely a few that, that stand out. There's been a few in the headlines in recent weeks. I think if you look at Fernand, you've got Ludovic Lees, who had a great campaign in their midfield, defensive midfielder. You know, he's, he's picked a, a move to Barcelona. This summer he's going to play for Barcelona B next season. We'll see how that works out. You've seen it last summer. You saw... Somebody like Ferdi Karioglu, who you know, was coming for it, NAC Nijmegen, big prospect, never was under 21 internationally, decided to move to Fenerbahce and didn't make a single league appearance for them. So you hope it doesn't go that way for, for Reese because he looked like a big prospect in our midfield. But there's another couple of strikers coming through. I think if that's a real problem area for Netherlands at the moment, where the next you know big number nine is going to come from. You look at Utrecht, you've got Nick Venema, who's scored four goals in Eredivisie this season. I think that, to the annoyance of a lot of Utrecht fans, Dick Advocates, not really utilised him much. He's a, he's a local lad. He's a big fan favourite. I think that the press hyped him up, and I think that annoyed Advocate a little bit. And he decided to go with Baha Beck up front, or maybe even Kirk, and he's left Venema on the bench. You know, it's worked out because they've got that European place, but I want to see more of Venema next season. I think that Van den Brom, when he comes in, he'll be using him a lot more. And then look at Herenveen, Sam Lammers, what he's done there. You know, he wasn't really getting the chances at PSV last season. He's gone alone to Herenveen. He scored 16 goals and an extra three in the cup. And now PSV have said that there's no chance they're going to allow him to leave next season. So he's going to be a first team player there. He's got an exciting future. So yeah, I think um, next season we'll see a with Boyting, Venema, Lammers, possibly a PSV, Daniel Malin as well. Four very interesting strikers coming through. And that's exactly what the Netherlands are in desperate need of right now, is some more striking options. And there's loads of young players coming through. And let's hope that one or two of them can really shine and maybe even get a call-up um, to Koeman's squad next season, which would be fantastic. Uh, but I think one of the options that wasn't mentioned there that I'd, I'd also like to see more of next season, similar to how um, Utrecht's uh, Venema uh, has, hasn't had many games, perhaps being held back a little bit. 
was is, is Sepp van den Berg at Peck Zwolle because I think he's a great centre-back um, and he's still only a teenager himself, 16-17 um, and I think next season he's his opportunity again um, perhaps with uh, Jan Stegerman coming in as Peck Zwolle manager next season um, coming from, in from Go Ahead who missed that promotion yesterday uh, I think van den Berg is going to have a standout season next season hopefully gets lots more first-team opportunities because, yeah, he's another centre-back who could be coming through and making waves. I've got a few more to add in, if you have space. Um, Absolutely. PSV have obviously, under uh, Mark von Bommel, given uh, youth their head. And uh, should they lose Bergwijn, should they lose De Jong even, they've got um, Marlon, you mentioned, as an option. But three players that I picked out, who are all in the first season with the first team, Cody Gakpo, who has just turned 20, Mohamed Edhoun, who's only 17, and Michel Sadilek, who's uh, got a call-up as well for the Czech Republic, and he's only 19. Gakpo Sadilek have already scored their first senior goals. So if they lose the likes of Bergwijn, Lozano, Gakpo will certainly have a bigger role next season. And you only have to look at PSV's midfield and the number of players that began the season in there and have lost out, the likes of Herrera and Jorit Hendricks even latterly, we're all victims of um, the progress of the youngsters. But Ramsabar has barely played at all and uh, will must be frustrated and surely looking to move on after a season of very little action. And even Eric Gutierrez, who came in uh, and really, even though he made a real impression from the bench, he really didn't manage to nail down a position. And Mark van Bommel instead turned to these teenagers who've ended up serving him pretty well. And as a midfielder at PSV, if you look at the fact He's had to move Luke de Jong into midfield, and mm. I don't know what it says for the mood of you know the likes of Gutierrez and Pereira and Hendricks if you see your number nine playing in midfield instead of one of those players. I'd add to that a fine old Okunkuchu who's made a really good impression in his first season. 18 years old, goal on his debut, and he finished with a goal too against Fortuna. Just three in all, but he's one of their brightest prospects to come out of the academy for a few years. So I'm sure... We'll see a lot more of him next season. Um, and yet some more great names to add to our list, Jonathan. And yeah, Kochu, I think, is going to be one that we're really going to look forward to seeing with Fire next season. Some optimism amongst um, the Rotterdam supporters. Um, but also with PSV, just want to touch upon what you were saying there. You know, how, how would you feel if you're one of those players, if you've got Sadilek and Ihataro over your position? You know, these are 17, 19 year olds playing in. Um, in, in the PSV midfield, was that actually a mistake for Mark van Barmore? Has that actually cost PSV the title this season by picking these younger players? I can, we can see his point by picking the younger players, but wasn't that at the cost of a title, Pat? I mean, you could argue that he didn't really... Van Barmore didn't really know who his strongest 11 is because he kept, he kept chopping and changing it. I think he was influenced a bit by the fans. You saw that with Gutierrez when he came off the bench because the PSV fans were chanting his name. I think that, you know, Van Bommel was trying to, maybe outsmart himself, maybe he wasn't happy with Ferrero and Gutierrez's work and training or what they were doing on the pitch. So he decided that these youngsters were going to come in. I don't think the youngsters did themselves any harm um, when they were on the pitch. I don't think it cost them the title. I just think Van den Brom's tactics is... Especially the game against Ajax, you know, that's a game that against 10 men, you're, you're 1-1. That's not a game you should be losing. Um, I think that's the one that really cost them the title. 
So I think Van den Brom next year, what he's done really is he's fed these players in this season. And if you're going to see that Guerrero is probably going to leave this summer, Hendricks is somebody that, you know, you can see him staying at PSV for his whole career, but you can also see him moving to maybe a mid-table Italian side. So if one of these players leaves, he's got the players in there to replace them straight away because he's given them those chances this season. So hopefully next year, PSV can kick on because I'm really excited about seeing Gagpo and Hatter in. I don't think we saw the best of him this season, but he's only so he's so young. I think that the more game time these players get together, the better it's going to be next season. Because I think if you saw Daniel Malin at the start last season when he was coming in, he was missing quite a lot of chances. But towards the end of the campaign, he was in great form and he's an exciting player for next season. And somebody like Luke De Jong, who's the top goal scorer, was getting moves into midfield. He was playing number 10 at the end of the season. So I hope that Van, de, um, Van Bommel over the summer can nail down a starting 11 that he thinks is his best and work with that next season because I think there's too much chopping and changing this year for PSV. Next year, they need to be a bit more rigid and a bit more exciting. And um, yeah, they can challenge Ajax if Van Bommel can really just pick a squad that he knows is his best, best 11, and then with some exciting options off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just wanted to finish our podcast by talking about um, the playoffs. So there were some really, really exciting um, relegation playoffs yesterday. And it saw both RKC Valvik and Sparta Rotterdam returning to the Eredivisie um, after five-year and one-year absences, respectively. But RKC Valvik involved in a nine-goal thriller. Just wanted to get both of your um, reactions to the game really well, it, was, it was a crazy one you know you're looking at going into it I was almost certain that go ahead Eagles were going to were going to go up at home you thought they were the, the form side you know RKC they finished I think 8th in the table and they got that far in the playoffs it was spectacular I think Fred Grimm who is the old Netherlands under 21 coach he's their, their boss and he's done a great job getting promoted but yeah I mean Sometimes you say the playoffs are a bit boring, they can be a bit edgy, but what a game that was. I mean, go ahead, Eagles thought he'd won it. Well, I meant to go then, 95th minute. RKC turned it all around, and well done to them. They're back in the Eredivisie. They're probably going to go into it as one of the weakest sides in there. I think Sparta Rotterdam on the other end have a lot of exciting young talents. They have players that are maybe suited more to the Eredivisie. So it's going to be interesting to see what RKC do over the summer to see if they can... You know, emulate the likes of Emin and Fortuna Sittard and you know, really establish themselves back in their division. Because I think, for me, the teams that have come up, Twente, Spire-Rodam and RKC, are better than the ones who've lost. The graphs gap, Excelsior have been punching above their weight for, for years now. You know, They could have gone down last year, the year before that. It's probably about their time. So I think that the three sides that come up are better than the ones that have gone down. And yeah, it's going to make their division a bit stronger next season, which is good. Yeah, I mean, that, that remarkable, the Ekase game. I was still uh, covering the Eredivisie show with the highlights programme when they were last in the Eredivisie under Owen Koeman and they got relegated. They've got um, they've got players in there who've got Eredivisie experience, uh, the likes of Enrico Drost at the back, uh, Dan Reinstra and Stanis Beering. This was in there before with uh, Sparta Rotterdam, Dylan Sayers as well. Well, the Belgian winger. So I think they should hold their own. Um, as for Sparta, they've got an experienced manager now, Hank Fraser, 
who has managed to get them out just when it looked like Degrasse would do it, having beaten Cambor, Hank De Jong putting his future side out at the expense of his current one. I honestly thought they would do it. It was nil-nil, wasn't it? With around about 15 minutes to go, and that would have been good enough for Degrasse to stay up. But despite improving since Christmas, they have paid the price, really, for not doing enough in the first half of the season. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how AK says it, particularly given that uh, they finished so far down in the uh, second tier. It's, it's interesting the way the playoffs work in that division. They they really do keep the season alive for teams right the way down to the middle of the table. So it should be interesting. And uh, Fortuna and Emin have proven that just because you're promoted side with the lowest budgets in the division, it doesn't mean that you can't punch above your weight and stay up. Yeah, I thought Valveik were, were outstanding yesterday, actually. And in, in certainly attacking sense, I think they've got a lot of strengthening to do in terms of their defence, though, because there were some dodgy goals given away. In typical Eredivisie, Ursa Divisie fashion, I have to say, but um, entertaining nonetheless. I think it also showed that when they knocked out Excelsior, that a team as low as eighth in the Ursa Divisie can be stronger sometimes than the lowest teams in the Eredivisie. Although that's going to change next season, isn't it? There's going to be two automatic relegation places um, has it been ironed out yet as to how the playoffs will work for that final relegation playoff position in their Eredivisie uh, I don't know is the answer to that <laughs> yeah. I've not seen anything from the Eredivisie yet to suggest that they know exactly how it works I mean that story broke from the Eredivisie and I think the KNDB even came out with a statement later on saying you know it's not ironed out yet you know it's a bit early in an announcement so need to wait and see what the details definitely are but I think it's a step in the right direction because you want the two strongest sides from the second division to go up and um, so they can survive in the air division if you're looking at the second division now you've seen that NAC and Nijmegen are a strong side but they're still down there and uh, someone like RKC who finished eighth maybe not got anywhere near a strong squad they're up so yeah I think the air division wants you know the two strongest from that division in the future I think also in future we, sh we we hope to see a return to the relegation spot in the Ursa Divisie, which could further strengthen the Dutch football tier. Tiers going down, it happened in the past where we saw um, Young RZ promoted. Um, but yeah, I, hopefully that can be improved because it does somewhat lessen um, the second division of Dutch football if you haven't got a relegation spot down to the amateur leagues. And um, a final note on the Eredivisie Europa League playoffs. Yesterday, we saw Utrecht uh, qualify for the Europa League, the early qualifying rounds. They got a very short summer ahead um, over Vitesse, who just looked so, so shattered on their last legs. They have been for weeks, let's be honest. But Leonard Slutsky even said how tired his players look. He's never seen a, a more tired squad before. Um, and Utrecht lay confidently and deservedly qualified for the Europa League. So I just wanted to get both your opinions and how you think they'll do. Um, next season and whether that was probably the best team to qualify from the Eredivisie after those top four teams Well I was commentating on the game so I, I saw it first hand that uh, yeah Vitesse were out on their feet they really they didn't create a single shot on target which was disappointing given they had Matthias on the field for the full 90 and Thomas Batting came on in the second half Brian Linson was pretty ineffective and he was withdrawn at half time it was Disappointing, really. I don't think it was a surprise to Lenny Slutsky, who, as you've alluded to there, said he's never seen a more tired team and everyone walking around with ice on their ankles and 
basically running repairs and just getting them to finish the game without falling over was uh, was quite mm-hmm. an achievement. I think it's uh, as they won it last season. It's been a ten month season for them because they were the ones beginning on. 25th of July in the second qualifying round away in Romania so they've had an awful long season and they only just finished ahead of Utrecht on goal difference so according to Dick Abacar that was a, a feather in the cap for Utrecht to keep up with the side with a much bigger budget um, Martin Odegaard was disappointing you know he wasn't able to pull the strings like he did against Groningen in the second leg of the semi-final and all in all I think Utrecht did well you know they've reached the final the last four years they've only won it uh, in one of those occasions, and now they've won it again. It'll be a case of seeing how they handle the early start. You know, Van der Brom is coming in, he's got RZ into the second qualifying round, and he'll now take over his side here in the second qualifying round. So I think they'll do okay. It's very difficult to predict. You know, we've seen Dutch sides struggle in the qualifiers. Zwolle did when they qualified via the cup final. Um, obviously, last year, Vitesse did, having beaten Vitor Rule, they then lost out to Basel, only narrowly, but. A side is really not in their stride when it comes to the second qualifying round. It's only really, you know, September, October that they really hit their stride in terms of fitness. So it's very difficult to predict the kind of opponent they might get. We saw Heracles 2 win the playoffs and get into Europe for the first time. We need to lose to a, a fairly lowly Portuguese side. So you just can't say it's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes, the second qualifying round of the Europa League, isn't it? Because it is such an early start that by the time you get to this stage of the season, the players are out on their feet. For me, I'm quite excited to see what Utrecht do. For me, I would have had them in Europe over the test because I think that they're going to lose probably their best players this summer. I think Odegaard's gone and Brian Linson's looking for, for a move away. Whereas Utrecht have got a new coach coming in, Van den Brom, and they've been linked to a couple of signings already that are quite exciting. You know, is Vaclav Czerny, the Ajax winger, is meant to be coming in and... The Telegraph this morning reporting that they're the favourites to sign Adam Meyer from AZ and also Matt Sunchens from AZ is getting linked there because you know Van den Brom's taking over so if they can add to their squad they've got a good base already good talent squad some good youngsters got pace up front with Kirk and you know Venema's exciting prospect so yeah I think that Utrecht could be no one to watch in Europe next season. I can see them getting through, hopefully, the second qualifying round and you never know after that. Great. Um, and they've got a good squad. Looking forward to seeing how they can do in the European stage because it's probably the best option we can look at after the finals and the RZs of the Eredivisie. Uh, and this is the final question and it was sent in on Twitter from Cam. Uh, Mike, I'm going to pose this question to you. And Cam would like to know, would you rather be Ajax beat Tottenham and lose to Liverpool in the Champions League final, win the Dutch Cup, but not the Eredivisie, or the second scenario, the one that happened where Ajax lose the semi-final to Tottenham in the way they did, win the Eredivisie and win the Dutch Cup. It's a bit of a no-brainer out of them two options. I think it's the way it's already happened, because I think if Ajax got to the final, lost it anyway, and lost the Eredivisie, I think it would have been a really sour end to the season. I don't think I would have just been happy with it. Dutch Cup, I think that you know the way that Ajax lost to Tottenham, yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's going to take some time to get away, but also highlight just the achievement of the cup to get this far. And I think that winning their divisi after so many years of not winning it kind of took a little bit of the ball away. So I think if yeah, if they got to the final, it would have been great. But to lose it anyway, I think it would have been 
heartbroken with that and the Eredivisie, but I think two trophies at the end of the season and the semi-final of the Champions League. I think if you look back at that next season, you can see that Ajax have definitely overachieved in Europe and have done exactly what they set out to do in the League and Cup. They've won them. And yeah, if I was an Ajax fan, I'd be very happy and very proud of my team after that. Agreed. I think that's the right choice. I think that actually is a bit of a no-brainer scenario for me, um, how I think Ajax are very happy with winning the, the Dutch League, Dutch Cup, but losing that semi-final of the Champions League. Because you, as you say, you look at the end of the season and go, wow, that was a great achievement. I think the only other scenario which might have been more interesting to consider was whether Ajax win the Champions League, lose the league, lose the cup. But I think you would take the Champions League over everything, to be honest. Um, now, Mike and Jonathan, thank you very much for joining me. That was a great podcast and we hope to speak to both of you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Great. And just to let listeners know, there will be a preview out for the Netherlands uh, match against England and also another podcast coming soon. Um, as a reaction to the semi-final against England and look ahead to, hopefully, a potential final. Thank you for listening. That is back up! That is back up! That is it! Yeah! 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 That is it! Yeah! Yeah! That is Klaassen! Goal!